Hi guys, Paul from the innovation community here. Today I'm with Abul Fahimuddin, who is a data analytics and AI leader at Equinor. So he's an algorithm and machine learning leader in the oil and gas space. And he's currently working on attacking AI issues from a number of different angles, which I'm sure we'll hear about today. Great to have you with us. Hey Paul, nice to meet you. And finally we have a chance to have this conversation. Really looking forward for it. Likewise, to start with, tell us a bit about yourself in a few words. Yeah, um, where to start? You know, I, I would put myself, like you have mentioned kindly, really appreciate that. Uh, I think I'm a data and algorithm enthusiast and I'm eternal optimistic person. And I believe that we can leverage a great value creation from data and digital technologies both for the industry that I care for, which is energy industry, and also for the society in general. That's me. So where did your career working with, with AI, data, digital begin? Uh, so data and digital is not something new for me. So my academic background, so um, I'm originally from Bangladesh, uh, but like many other of my friends from my part of the world, we go for other parts of the world, especially Western country, to get higher education. I ended up in Germany, uh, where I did my master's study in actually computational science and engineering, which is, you could think of it as data science. But during my study, I had a chance to start working uh, for research projects uh, where I got first exposure to really big data, especially in within industry-grade optimization problems. I would say that's where I started to get more curious about algorithms and data and how to connect data. And that has ushered now to AI and machine learning um, at this point. So yeah, I say that 2004, five, that's the time when I started to go into data. And how has that really evolved over time? How has that changed from when you started to your current role? The change is, um, I would say I've gone through a transformation within myself. Uh, from that time, from a very, from, you know, more numerical methods in engineering space, I have slowly and steadily became domain agnostic, which means that uh, once I have a data, if I have an algorithm, it actually doesn't matter where the problem is coming from. I'll give you an example. Right now, my project involves uh, to creating an abstract algorithmic setting where we can take any problem from an energy industry's value chain. It can be within the subsurface domain or it can be deep inside of the energy trading space. So the change is from a very focused, uh, let's say application area I have evolved to a more and more, more generalistic, more domain agnostic, and that is only possible through the application of AI, machine learning, and data science in particular. So what are you up to in your current role? So in my current role on Equinor, um, I work in a capacity of, you could say, in a project leader or product owner, whatever you can say, a change agent. Uh, in a project where we are trying to liberate our data, uh, you know, the data is normally for an asset-heavy industry in like an oil and gas, 
they are in many silos. So one part is liberating this data. Uh, there's a lot of work has been doing, but what happens once you have this data available? preferably on the cloud. Just take an example in you know, Azure or Microsoft or Google Cloud. Uh, my, my passion is right now is you know, how to create insights, value from this disparate source of data that we are continuously liberating. So I'm actually, my, me and my team, which I'm really proud of, we are trying to really find a platform, a problem-solving environment where we will want to integrate this data and to see a very high-level picture coming through data, coming through analytics, which normally we would have focused uh, in the silos. Now I want to see it at a very high level. That's what I'm up to right now. And you come across as someone with a, a, a true passion. What do you think really interests you about working with data? What I, I would say, I feel humbled actually to see uh, how data tells, especially not the data itself, but when you started to link different types of data, the insights, the algorithms and the problem solving environments that we're working with is giving you is humbling. You could see that uh, things as a, let's say subject matter expert, uh, if I am allowed to use that word, someone who knows a topic very well. But suddenly when you are interacting with different sets of data, which you have never seen before yourself, it really complements your, as a subject matter expert, your uh, way of deciphering the information. And this is something new. And this is, uh, I'm really enjoying this at this point in time, how data and data science technologies, AI is revealing relationships that actually we didn't know before to be honest fantastic so you've had a pretty seasoned career in this space what would you define as some of the major successes you've achieved over that time i think uh, over the time you know I, I would say that let's i can have two categories here paul one is let's say the pure hard success factors you know when you're developing a piece of software when you're developing an algorithm, you solve a business problem, you promise X amount and you give back 5X amount. That's happening, that happens. But I think the biggest achievement, what I have, uh, actually I'm having right now over the last couple of years is um, achievement through others. When I can bring others connected through the data and the data insights and what they can produce out of it, and that is really keeping me very energized, to be honest. So I would say that at this point in time, uh, the change some of my colleagues, some of my friends are going through through data and AI is really, I would say, the most, uh, uh, most energizing success I have seen, apart from many others, academic and professional before. Yeah. So can you tell us about a specific time that you affected change in a major company and, and some of the challenges that came with that? Yeah, so um, I could take, uh, let me think of it uh, more like a uh, first, um, I would reflect a little bit what it was before, let's say five years, six years back in time and how I am experiencing now. Because your question has, I think, a little bit of time dependency because things have been changing. So I want to 
I hope I will uh, try to give you an example because this is a very important question because at the end of the day, when you speak about data, digital transformation, it's about change. Changing how we think, changing how we interact, changing how we collaborate, changing how we deliver, okay? Let's say in a five years time um, uh, before uh, when I was communicating some technical results, there were difficult results, let's say for, uh, for an offshore operations uh, based on data but not so much, uh, that was more like a domain specific technologies I used. I said that, okay, uh, you can use these insights to drill the oil producing well in a particular locations. There was a little bit skepticism because people, my field of specialty is a bit traditional industry. There is a inherent, uh, it's a very experience-based industry, okay, a qualitative-based. So people are a little bit skeptic about being very data-driven. So that was five years ago, okay? Uh, it was a good success later, but there was a little bit of challenge to bring your main stakeholders on the table. Now, fast forward two months before, okay? World has gone through a tremendous change, and everybody understands it. And now the discussions have changed. Now... Uh, the stakeholders are asking, is your results are more data-driven or not? You see, so there's a major change. So I think, but still, has it solved all the problems? Not. Uh, but it's we're going in the right direction. To give you a concrete example, I can tell you, uh, because now there is an inherent expectation that you will be more data-driven, you will use more algorithm across the you know, business units, business areas, industry, right? It is a little bit easier now, uh, retrospective when I think, uh, to communicate the result. But still, you still need to defend your uh, outcomes from the projects in terms of value realization. So one of the challenges at this point in time, uh, you will probably because you speak a lot of people, I, I assume, in the AI space, how to actually prove that your AI and digital technologies have created a measurable value. It's not always easy uh, to actually measure the outcomes that you get. I'm actually not struggling, but I'm actually working hard actually to convince the decision maker, hey, you're very supportive for data-driven technology, uh, but um, we are still working to show you a measure, a measurements that we are doing the things. I think this will be an ongoing journey. It's a long answer, but I hope it gives you some perspective. No, I, I think you'd be pleased to hear, and you probably know this already, that you're not really alone in, in the oil and gas space when it's really hard to convince decision makers that the value of data and AI. And, 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 and it's, I think in some ways it's better than having a, a company that wants to implement data for data's sake you know just let everyone's got a cdo so let's get a cdo in uh, i think this approach actually it, it sounds a lot better and it sounds like and, and also looks like from your track record that that you've had a lot of success there um a big question i want to talk about is is technology and i know that ai isn't really uh shouldn't be a driver of technology but what effects do you think technology will have on the ai space over the next few years i think you know the it's a very, very important aspect. As I won't say the, the world uh, as a whole, not only Silicon Valley, you know, not only London or Tel Aviv, wherever, or Bangalore, you know, where a lot of innovations are coming. Everybody's understanding that it's actually a matter of time when 
in AI and data analytics will do a lot of stuff that many of us are doing for decades. It, it will happen, actually. But the question is, you know, uh, transparency, biasness. You know, there is a lot of... Um, I work in an industry which is a little bit technical, but what about in other industries? You know, when you speak about technologies, I think um, one of the challenges that uh, AI and machine learning space has to fix as an industry is, a, you know, explainability of your results. Uh, this is very important because you can get a lot of fancy results, but you need to really prove. You need to have a transparent framework that, uh, you know, people can really go back and and actually ask you hard questions. I will tell you lots of people speaking about, you know, self-driving cars. I think from algorithmic point of view, I believe we're very close. Maybe we already have a workable solution. But what if in the worst case scenario you have an accident? At least for now, we can go to the rule of law, the courts, we take the driver or whoever, who is responsible for something shouldn't be done. But for the AI, uh, whom would be responsible? I think that's a very open question I think we must fix. Second one, I think, would be there is an inherent bias because the algorithm we, will behave exactly how it has no emotions. It will only behave with your boundary conditions. If those boundary conditions are biased to a particular group, particular type of technology, I think there will be more skepticism going forward. This So I think there is a lot of potential, but we really need to do it correctly now as a team, as a whole, I think the whole industry, to do these things correct. Because if we don't do it now, later it can be very expensive, in my opinion. And how would you describe your own leadership style? Because you mentioned you're in a more traditional company that's more experience-based. Uh, how are you finding the best way to, to engage and communicate, uh, whether it's team members or senior leaders, with an AI-focused mindset? Yeah, so, <coughs> so let's start with the uh, team members because that's so, so important because, you know, what AI and, and, and digital technology is actually effectively doing for, like, say, traditional companies, actually, it's, it's, a, um, it's actually breaking the hierarchical, you know, the management hierarchy is going down, especially in the COVID time now when we're discussing even more on the virtual world. So I think... Uh, it's very important for me as an, you know, digital leader or an aspiring leader is to be really humble, to be very collaborative, to be empathic. That I, uh, when I engage with my team members, I try at least um, consciously, what would I have done if I were on the other side? And it has been really helping me, and I have got, and I'm very open for feedback. Um, I am okay to admit my failure but at a but at a, there is a condition that i want to learn from my failure that i don't repeat it so i think engaging with team members a team where i'm leading uh, for me the most important thing is being at the same level admit your failure learn from it give space to the newcomers so they can also build so it's more like a bottom-up approach that i want to leverage now that comes one part of your question the senior leadership, I, I have, over the years, you learn a few things. And one of the things I have learned, uh, for the senior leaders, the best thing is you make a very good preparation when you meet them. 
because they have a very limited time. They have to take care of tens of other projects, same like me, but it's the preparation. So I want to go to my meeting that my stakeholder is very well informed. I'll send them some pre-reads. I go there as a decision-making uh, meeting. So for the senior leaders, for me, preparation is the key. And for the team members, is the collaborative and empathic uh, way of communicating. That's my way. So where do you see the biggest opportunity for improvement within the energy space right now? I think, uh, I think uh, you know, I'm very proud for my company in this case. We are, at least we are one of the front runners. We, you know, we need to embrace energy transition. Energy transition is good for the world, good for the society, and good for the business. So I think for the um, uh, and energy transition, it means that diversifying our traditional oil and gas portfolio with renewables, with low carbon solutions, you know, all embracing new technologies, you know, AI and digital, how to slowly, gradually, but decisively change from fossil fuel to something better for the world. I think uh, embracing that thing is the first step. The second step, actually do something about it. Uh, we have been speaking it for too long. Uh, it's time for actions, and that's what uh, the millennials, the new generations are asking for because I think there is a... Uh, rightfully impatient. Uh, politicians have been speaking too long. Uh, we need to do some actions. And I think setting the strategic directions actually go for it because, uh, you know, energy transition makes actually business sense for energy companies. But also there is a, I would say it's a license to operate kind of discussion. If society really doesn't want you, you can have the best product in the world. Nobody will buy it from you. I think that's the, we need to do something rather than discussing. I think, uh, and Equinor, uh, I think we are, we have, we are actually doing a lot in the energy transition because we believe accelerating energy transition actually makes sense. It's good for the world, good for the business, and more importantly, good for the society uh, that we operate in. I also think that's a good attitude for life, you know, be, be proactive rather than wait for something to come to you. And it's something that I hold very dearly too. Absolutely. I think, you, uh, you know, and you need to engage with the outside world. You need to have, um, to be honest, to expand your, this point really good, Paul, is uh, it's very important to, to have this dialogue and you have a mechanism to absorb the criticism, not always defensive, rather admit it. Uh, and then, Okay, we will need energy, right? Anyways, no matter what, even in the most digital world, you will need energy. The question is which form? So we know that we need that, but we need to work together with the people, with the society in general. And I think, uh, like you said, that discussion goes also at a personal level to be open for a little bit of critique and try to improve continuously. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the impacts of COVID-19? Um, I mean, this is in my lifetime, the most, I mean, it's a pandemic. I mean, every corner of the world has been, I would say negatively touched upon from the societal perspective. This is a uh, human tragedy at, uh, at a scale we never think of in modern time after the World War II. So this is, is no discussion. Um, this is a major, major setback as a humanity. But, you know, we are slowly and steadily coming out of it, hopefully. But on the other side, as I introduce myself as an eternal optimist, uh, I would say that this is actually an opportunity. 
not for the company at a personal level, but society as a whole, to make a new start. Accelerating, for my industry, energy transition. Embrace the new digital world. Hear the people, what's the new generation wants. And um, this is a very high level, I know, but I think this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to sit uh, a little bit, take a deep breath, see what we have done not so correctly and try to improve. So I think it's an opportunity for us at every level to reset. I think there is a word called great reset at this point in time and I strongly believe in that and it's an opportunity of a lifetime. So we really need to do it correctly. Otherwise, it might be too late actually for the next time. Yeah. So what's your top working from home tip? <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I have a tip which I, I, I struggle a lot of time. I think we must not forget about taking care of, your, of our general health. Um, not only physical health, you know, the, your food habit. It's so easy to eat a lot of, uh, uh, you know, delicious foods, which is maybe not so the good effect in the long run, but also at the same time, which I want to emphasize, being conscious about your mental health, you know, psychological aspect, because I, I am dearly missing the interaction with my friends, taking a pint or going for a team building. Uh, so we really need to find something. Uh, it's not possible. In my opinion, you cannot compensate, but you know, uh, the, uh, it's not an option just not doing anything. Let's, let's uh, take it as a constraint and make the best out of it. But being aware of your health, both physical and mental, uh, I personally struggle because I like to do my stuff um, in computer and doing my project or, you know, running some Python programs, but I must not forget about my health because at the end of the day, that's, uh, that's very important for each of us. Yeah. That's a very good tip. What do you think was, uh, back to you last few questions now, the biggest mistake you think you made during your career? Uh, the biggest mistake, uh, you know, as a human being, I made a lot of mistakes. But when you ask about the, uh, uh, you know, the biggest mistake is I'm constantly learning. Actually, I would be open with you. I'm actually working on it. Um, um, I, I have a tendency not to say no. So let's say I am very occupied with an important project, whichever organization I'm working for. And uh, if uh, I'm generally very curious person, uh, and I, I want to help people if I can. And, and I'm not so good in saying no when I should say no. That, you know, as a human, I also have a, a capacity issues uh, like anybody else. I'm actually learning on it. Okay. Uh, if somebody comes right now, I'm really, really occupied with the delivery until next six weeks. Uh, you know, uh, no matter what comes now, um, I need to focus what I'm supposed to promise. I'm actually working on it. So I think uh, I have done this uh, uh, let's say mistake in your words before and what happens then you compromise both deliveries rather than it would have been nice for the new task to say okay sorry i would really love to do it now but can you wait for six weeks in the line so i can come back i didn't do it before a couple of times uh, and i think i'm actually working on it right now so yeah that's the one that comes in my mind a person with change agent as well. <laughs> What's yeah, exactly. the best piece of advice you ever received? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, it's actually one of my very good friends 
in my recent study, when I did my executive MBA at the BI Norwegian Business School, one of my friends there, uh, uh, he actually told me something which changed my way of looking at the corporate world. I'll try to make it for you in this case. I hope it makes sense. So he told me that, Abu Lokep, focus on your direct leader to his deliveries. So the goal is, this is like this. So I have really focused to make my immediate leader successful through my playing my part of projects. Rather than, so this is a little bit hypothetical, rather than focusing mostly on my deliveries, I kind of changed my mindset. I'm still focusing on it, but I always think, okay, if I do this piece of work five times better than expected, will it really help my immediate leader to deliver? By doing this, if I can repeat it in few times, I really great, uh, receive a lot of trust and more responsibility. And I see over time, this is becoming a kind of a positive cycle. So it's kind of focusing on your immediate leaders for delivery is helping me to be professionally more successful. I hope that makes sense. That does make perfect sense. Who is your favorite thought leader or author? Uh, thought leader, uh, I'm a big follower of Milton Friedman. Uh, he is uh, one of the, I should say, modern, um, of course, he's not with us anymore. He's, he's one of the founding fathers of the modern capitalism. So I follow Milton Friedman's book and his old videos, his lectures. Uh, it's an amazing person in my opinion. So he is, let's say, have shaped the way I look at the corporate world and, to be honest, how I look myself as a part of a greater society. And for the writer, uh, for, from the writer perspective, I'm a big fan of Yuval Noah Hariri. As you know, uh, he is, uh, I, I, I closely follow all his books, the thoughts. So more a capitalist economist versus a futuristic historian. So that's a kind of my spectrum. And I, I love data. So I'm in the middle. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, niche down. I like it. What is your favorite <laughs> quote? Fortune favors the brave. And I've been following that all my life. Uh, but... Over the years, I have learned you need to be careful about the risks, but I like to take measured risks. And uh, it's my father who told me many years back, so don't blame your bad luck if you're not successful. You better be brave and try your heart and see what happens. That's what I'm following all the time. That's great advice and a great influencer as well. What are you curious about right now? I think right now I'm curious about, uh, um, you know, how, as I have mentioned, the word energy transition, digital transformation, and, uh, you know, we, we strongly believe, uh, you know, technologies will play a role. So I'm very curious to know how, how the world will be moving to more into low-carbon world in the renewable energy world, and which kind of AI and digital technologies will play a role there. Uh, there are some hints. I think the problem is not solved yet. So I'm very curious. So Paul, if you hear something in that space, send me an email. If someone you hear that found out a new technology to solve, a, a, let's say, a wind energy problem or hydrogen production problem, give me a shout. I'm very curious in that space. I've definitely got a few people in mind. Last question. <laughs> what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in AI? I think, uh, you know, the best advice... Uh, you, uh, 
I would say that advice is a big word, but my reflections, uh, uh, if I consider myself relatively successful in my journey so far, uh, you know, for aspiring leaders in data. So I would say, you know, let's not focus only on the data science for its data science aspect. That means you can make the best programs in the world, best tools, but keep in your mind that at the end of the day, it's the license to operate is to create business value. Whichever, even if you are an innovator, if you're having your own company, uh, at the end of the day, people need to use your tool that something that I'm developing, is it customer centric? Sometimes it's very easy to forget that. So that's one of the part I am learning actually myself. Hopefully that resonates with some of you. Uh, the next one would be, you know, you can spend a lot of time to make your machine learning or AI models the best in the world, you know? Uh, but that's just the one piece. Uh, the people, the change management part that uh, I see that, uh, you know, AI and digital technology will, will transform the society as we know. But the if you wanna accelerate that process, you need to have a buy-in from the people. So I think focusing on, on the change management side is, uh, is you know, extremely important when it comes to, uh, to, for any aspiring digital leader or even those are seasoned leader. And last but not least, let's not forget our personal health, health of our relationship. At the end of the day, don't think we're superhuman. We're all human. We have a mind, we have a body, make sure you take care of it, especially during this uh, demanding time as we are passing through right now. Paul. Great advice. That was Abu Fahimuddin, data analytics and AI leader at Equinor. Thanks for joining us. Paul, thank you so much for having me in your podcast.